Tanner Skin and the Eco Defenders. Book One Wonders Never Cease, Chapter 14. That's where I will need your help, all of you, including your help if you will give it, Terry, Albert said. Help with what? the big flying lizard asked. Help in creating a monolith, engraving those prophecies I mentioned onto it, and then encasing the monolith in amber. We've got to make sure to nip Nazism in the bud. All down but nine. Set him up on the other alley part, I said to Albert. To be truthful, I did understand some of what he was saying, but by no means all of it. A monolith is a large, smooth stone upon which laws or forceful commands or prophecies are chiseled, Albert explained. Here, let's all of us climb out of this, and I'll show you, he then said, grabbing the compressor-decompressor wand from under the seat as he stepped out of the Xenia Zephyr. Once we had all clambered out and assembled in a semicircle around Albert, Terry remained standing on the cowling but pivoted 180 degrees on her feet so as to face us all, doing yet more harm to the Zephyr's paint job as her claws scraped across the shiny surface. He explained to us in more detail about the monolith and its purpose. Albert then asked Tubthumper to step forward. When she did, he passed a wand over her, causing her to return to her natural size. Thunder and lightning, that's more like it, Terry said. You look definitely mastodonish now, she added, with a nod of approval. Albert left Draco and Marmalade at their larger-than-natural size, as there was no reason to compress them and return them to their normal size yet. He then assigned jobs to all of us. I was to find a smooth stone large enough to serve as a monolith, about six feet high and a foot thick, or a larger piece that could be sculpted down to that smaller size. We would also need to find a stone that could be fashioned into a chisel, and another one that could be used as a mallet. That would be the first step. For their part, Stripes, Marmalade, and Draco were to gather the amber by tapping the trees in the area and collecting the tree resin. Terry, who had agreed to help, was to fly the tree resin to wherever I found a suitable stone, a load at a time until there was enough of the golden-hued, gooey drippings to cover the monolith. For the time being, Tubtemper was to cool her heels with Albert as he waited for me to find a suitable block of stone to be used for the monolith. This she gladly did, literally, by wading into the nearby marsh and flopping herself down into it, first on one side and then the other, trumpeting and grunting her enjoyment of the ablution. To make a long story shorter, I soon found a nice, smooth piece of granite, as well as plenty of smaller pieces which had broken off of it, among which were two that could be used for the chisel and the mallet. So, after a short rest in the shade to gather my breath and my thoughts, I trotted back and reported my find to Albert. Albert called Tump Thumper from her bath and I then led both of them to the spot, Albert and I riding on the elephant's back, Albert because he didn't want to get his shoes wet, and me so that I could better recognize the spot where I had found the suitable granite. That was my story anyway. To be honest, I could easily follow my nose to the spot, but 
I wanted the experience of riding on an elephant's back. I knew the dogs back home would be jealous when I told them about it. It was easy work for Tub Thumper to break off a piece of the granite according to the dimensions Albert wanted, using her head to crack the rock into the prescribed size. Albert discovered a piece about eight inches long and an inch in diameter that would serve well as the chisel. As for a mallet, all that was really needed was a stone about the size of an ostrich's egg. I showed Tub Thumper the fairly round stone I had selected for this purpose, and she picked it up with her trunk and used it to strike the chisel that Albert held, as he changed its position and angle slightly with each blow of Tub Thumper's makeshift mallet so as to record the message he had composed. Meanwhile, the first load of amber, currently tree resin, that would later become amber, that is, was ready, and Terry located us by following the sharp rhythmic report of the stone on the chisel and deposited it near the base of the monolith. She watched the chiseling work for a while, pretending to be able to read it, although she was looking at it upside down, then flew back for the next load. Albert engraved the message about the dramatic events that had taken place in the past or would take place in the future, reckoning from the time period we were now inhabiting, in three languages, English, German, and Pig Latin, which he calls Ig Latin Pay. He was confident that the eventual finder of the monolith would know at least one of those languages. As Albert and Tub Thumper toiled away at their task, I sat on my haunches, watching and waiting. My paws are neither suited for chiseling nor malleting. On the other side of the marsh, Stripes methodically stripped off the bark with his big, strong paws, while Marmalade and Draco continued scratching at the exposed portion left behind until the resin was released. Terry kept jabbering the whole time as she watched the trio work, waiting for another load to carry off. She continued to tease Draco about her diminutive size. From the standpoint of the pterodactyl, Draco was small, as the only reference points she had were the giants that she lived among. When Terry got tired of chaffing Draco, she started gossiping about how dumb her neighbor Steve, the stegosaurus, was telling Draco, Stripes, Stripes, and Marmalade of the silly things Steve did that supposedly proved his lack of intelligence. In due time, enough amber had been gathered and delivered, and Albert had finished the engraving of the weighty words on the monolith. Now, for the finishing touch and flourish, Albert said, 